Well, do you think you're good at explaining things? Uh, hands up if you think you're good at explaining things. Or a couple of confident people. I might ask you a few questions later. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, they tell me that um, the, um, the best way to find out if you're good at explaining things is teach somebody a game. A game. Teach them a game. And if they understand how to play the game, you're good at explaining things. If the person throws their hands up in ex exasperation, you know that you've got, you need to work on your teaching skills in that, in that department. Now, explaining complex things is never easy. And um, understanding God is a little bit complex. In fact, God's a little bit more than just a little bit complex. He's, he's quite complex. And God understands that he is complex and hard for us to grasp and understand. So God uses in different ways, different ways to communicate with us. And one of the ways he does that is to use metaphors. He uses language we already know to make points of connection with something that we don't necessarily know or understand. Lots of metaphors to help us understand some complex things about God. And last week we looked at the opening five verses of John's Gospel and we were introduced to a concept called logos. In our English Bibles it's translated as the word word. In the beginning was the word or in the beginning was the Logos. Now the word Logos, we found out, was a, a loaded term in Greek culture that was basically related to the word purpose. So when we're talking about the word, as it is in here in John, or Logos, we're talking about something's purpose. And uh, Michael used a, a, a metaphor of a hammer. Well, I've never seen a hammer before, and I asked, what's the purpose of a hammer? Or what's the Logos of a hammer? Well, the logos of a hammer, or the purpose of a hammer, is to hammer nails. The link was then made to how the Gospel of John engages with the more grander question of what was the purpose of the universe, the logos of the universe. And as people who live within the universe, within God's created order, if we want to live a life of meaning and purpose, we need to find out the meaning and purpose behind the universe. What makes the universe tick? And what God's, John's Gospel revealed in the opening verses last week is that the purpose of the universe is not a principle or a concept, but it's actually a person. And Jesus Christ is God, the creator of all things. So if we want to know the purpose behind the universe, if we want to know the purpose and meaning of our lives as created beings within the universe, we need to get to know Jesus. We know that Jesus was God who came to earth and made known to us what God was like and his purposes for the world. And that's basic, a basic summary of, of last week. And today's passage is a summary account of how Jesus makes points of connection between God the creator and the created beings within the world. And thankfully the language of logos or words ceases after 14 and he starts to use language that we can relate to. And some of those words that were picked up last week was the word light and the word life. Things that we can all relate to in different ways. Now normally when I prepare a passage most weeks, I look for one big idea to sort of weave in throughout the whole text. But this is the type of passage that has many themes running through it. And I will point out some of the key themes as we go through, uh, as we look at uh, how Jesus sheds light on the meaning of life. And so we'll have a few different themes running through. And I'll try to add some points of application as we go through too. And verse 6 picks it up there. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
Now, when it comes to the biographies of Jesus, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, begin with some kind of reference to a figure called John. We also know him as John the Baptist. And throughout history, as the Old Testament shows, God has sent people like Moses and the prophets to reveal things about the purpose and meaning of life. Now, as the New Testament begins and God himself is about to step onto the, the stage of humanity, he sends this man, John, to introduce him, as verse 7 shows. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. Now, to witness is one of the key concepts of this gospel and is a serious means for substantiating the truth of a matter in a court of law. Now, although we often refer to him as John the Baptist, it may be more appropriate to call him John the Witness because he came to be a witness. Nothing else that he did can be compared to the importance of this witnessing that he did to the Lord. And as well as John, uh, John the Baptist or John the Witness, uh, with, uh, in John's Gospel, uh, there are other people who also witnessed to Jesus. All three members of the Trinity are recorded as witnessing to Jesus. The works of Jesus bear witness to him. The sacred scriptures bear witness to him. The disciples, the multitude, and even the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 that we'll look at in a few weeks. But as we travel through our 175th year, we also continue as many in the long line of witnesses that God has sent through Jesus. So in one sense, we could just as easily say there was a man sent from God. His name was Jason. Uh, and he is here as a witness. His name is George. His name, he's here as a witness. His name is Alex. His name is Kenneth. His, her name is Jane, Jenny, Kathy. She's here as a witness. And that is why we wanted to develop our testimonies this year, in this 175th year, and Chris is going to run some workshops for us over the next month. And uh, let's continue to pray for opportunities to testify to the meaning and purpose behind the world in which we live as we uh, develop ways and practice ways to, to testify. Let's continue to pray that God would raise up opportunities and we won't miss them when they come. That's one theme that weaves through. But verse 7 continues and picks up another theme. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Well, with a logical flow from verses 1 to 5, we can see that the light is a reference to the Creator God whom we know as Jesus. It is possible that some of John's followers mistakenly thought John himself was God who came to earth as the Logos, the light of the world. But verse 8 makes clear that John wasn't the purpose behind the universe. and he, It says there, he himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John was there to follow Jesus, not to replace him. Now I'm not sure if you noticed in the, in the verses there, in verse 7, but there's a so that in the verse. Can you see the so that? I love it when there's a so that in the text because it helps explain some of the logic in there. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Now, through him seems to be talking about through John. For in verse 12, the language believed in his name, in his name, refers to Jesus. But God was bringing the message through John, John the Baptist at this point. We believe in Christ. 
but it is through John that the message comes. John is the messenger. He's not the message. As again, Chris will highlight, when we prepare our testimonies this year, if what we share in our story doesn't mention Jesus, well, it's not really a Christian testimony. It could be anybody's testimony. We want people to come to a point of decision about Jesus, not a point of decision about us. Isn't it a special experience when God gives us an opportunity to testify to what we believe? You know, at a growth group, someone asks, how was your day? And your face lights up. Oh, I had a really good conversation today. Gets us pumped, doesn't it, when we have those opportunities? Let's not lose sight of that excitement of those moments that God creates to have an opportunity to testify and point somebody to Christ. Let's be a congregation this year that's intentional about praying for opportunities throughout the year. And let's be people that don't miss them when God brings those opportunities across our paths. But the themes continue. They continue in verse 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, there are lots of big words we use as Christians to describe things about God. And incarnation is one of those words you don't hear out on the streets. Now, it basically means when God became a man in the person of Jesus. Now, among other things, it's what we celebrate at Christmas when we celebrate the birth of Christ. But in John chapter 1, most people use verse 14 to highlight the incarnation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And although we'll unpack that in more detail next week, verse 9 in today's passage also introduces the incarnation, but in a more subtle way when it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This metaphor of light appears nine times throughout the gospel in different clusters, so it's a pretty big theme. Now, there's not enough time to unpack everything related to this metaphor of light, this theme of light. But I'll point out a couple of things, and you can see that it's described as the true light. Remember those true and false games you used to play in different ways? I'll try an easy one for you. True or false? The St. Thomas Church building is 150 years old this year. True or false? False. Oh, too easy. Uh, now, uh, true or false? 175 years we celebrated last, last weekend. True or false? True. Too easy. Okay, here's a tough one. There's a guy buried in this graveyard that was killed by a falling telegraph pole. True or false? Okay, hands up for true. Okay, hands up for false. Okay, if there's a certain person in the congregation who put their hand up, you know to put your hand up as well. Uh, yes, true. William Voisey, 1912. You can ask Sue about that one, I'm sure, or Sandra, um, the, the historical experts. Yes, well, true is often set in contrast to false, the true and false. But true also carries notions of the word ultimate. It sets up a contrast between what is provisional and what is ultimate. Now, for example, the matter true was genuinely from God, in the sense it was true, it was real. But ultimately, it pointed forward to Jesus. And metaphorically speaking, Jesus was the true bread from heaven, while the manna in the desert was the, the ultimate source of life and eternal life. 
So when it says the true light that gives light to everyone in verse 9, it's another way of saying that when Jesus came into the world, he was the ultimate source of knowledge about God. And to push the metaphor a little further, Jesus sheds light on what God is like. Now a point of application here is to recognise that there are, there are many things that can give meaning and purpose to our lives. Relationships and work and travel and education and learning, recreation, food even. These are all great things from God, great gifts from God. He's created for us to enjoy and delight in. But they are not where the ultimate meaning and purpose for our lives is found. Relationships break down, people disappoint us, we change jobs, training is stressful, planes are delayed, there's no end to learning. Every, the more we learn, the more we realise we don't know. We get sick, injured as our bodies break down. If we think the ultimate meaning and purpose is found in these things, we will become easily disappointed, grow old and grumble about everything. But the ultimate, the true meaning and purpose in life comes from knowing God and, and walking with him. And that is what Jesus has come to shed light on. So let's not lose sight of that as we navigate our way through our lives and the different seasons and the varying stages of our lives. We'll become consumed with different things. But let's not lose sight of the ultimate meaning and purpose is found in, in knowing God and walking with him. Now, as much as I like to show that expressions in Scripture that make it easy to see things, there's also repeated words that highlight a bit of meaning as well. So what word, word does he repeat in verse 9 and 10? Have a look there. What word is repeated? World. That's right. World. Once in verse 9, three times in verse 10. Now, there are three clear things it says about the world here. First, the world... Uh, or, or the, uh, the, the word or the light was in the world. Um, God made himself, God was in the world. It wasn't a fleeting visit, stick your head in the door kind of thing, kind of moment. In Jesus, God provided enough time and gave enough evidence to reveal who he was, to shed light on what God was like. Since to Jesus, the word or the light, the logos. As verse 3 uh, says that we looked at last week, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. But the third thing he says about the world in, at the end there, the world did not recognise him. Now, while the first two uses of the world included the earth and all that is in it, this third use seems to have in mind the people of the world. And the majority of references to the world in John's Gospel are basically negative. And even when we recite the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, what is it? For everyone, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I'm sure there's a few different translations in there depending on your age, so whosoever and a few things in there. But even this verse highlights that the world is not necessarily positive, but the world needs to be saved. God's character is shown in that he still loves the people of the world, regardless of their failure to receive him. And the most significant way that Jesus shed light on what God was like was to show us how much God loved us. And Jesus did this by dying in our place to deal with the darkness of, of death and judgment hanging over our heads 
for our indifference to God. He rose again to show he was indeed God himself and will receive all who have trusted in him. But the tragedy of the indifference is highlighted with a vivid personal touch in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive as an alien or a foreigner. He came home where the people should have recognised him, embraced him. Because God created all things, there is a sense that which, that which was his own includes the very people he created. Now the language of world in verse 10 is quite broad, but in verse 11 it seems to become a little bit more precise and have Israel on view. The nation has been privy to God's progressive and unfolding revelation through the Old Testament. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various places. Remember from Hebrews? The Samaritan woman in chapter 4 is recorded as saying that Bashan is from the Jews. In light of this and the rest of the gospel, the writer is probably thinking of the Jewish nation as well. When he, came, he says that he came to that which was his own. He says not only did they did not recognise him, but that they did not reach. That seems to pop up is that passage in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. The language of Jesus in John 14, take you to be with me, is the same. I will receive you so that you may be where I am. Jesus receives us when we trust in him. When Jesus comes into the world, people don't receive him. They don't recognise or receive God for who he is. That's the, the weight of what John is saying here. And as God said through the prophet Isaiah, all day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations of, of people who continually provoke me to my very face. But just as much as Isaiah the prophet spoke of people not receiving God, he also spoke of those that did receive him with a metaphor of his own. And this is what it says in Isaiah there. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and men say, don't destroy it, so will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. Isaiah 65. So while the first 10, verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 1 points out the tragedy of people not receiving God, verses 12 and 13 echoes the in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born, born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God as their status changes before God. It doesn't say how they are born of God. It doesn't say that in these verses. And we'll explore that a little bit more when we get to chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. But it does tell us here who makes it happen. God himself. And although there is no clear reference to the virgin birth in these verses, the miracle of being born again can be understood in some way 
by the miracle of the incarnation. God can make it possible, even though we don't really understand how it works. Well, even though it's only seven verses, there is a lot of, uh, lots of big ideas and themes running through this, and I've only touched on a small amount. The language of witness, the light, the incarnation, the world, recognising, receiving Jesus, being born of God. There is so much in here, and we could dig and dig and dig. So apart from the points of application I've already raised, two final points can be reflected. Firstly, have you recognised who Jesus is? and received him? Well, are you still turning your back on him? If you want to talk more about this, come and speak to me at the end or seek out a trusted Christian friend. It's time to receive Jesus. Secondly, for those who do believe, let's delight in the reality that our status before God is as his children, comfort that we've been given that right by God himself and nobody can take that away. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has come to shed light on who you are. We thank you that you have given us many amazing things that give meaning and purpose and direction to our lives. But help us to always remember that the ultimate meaning and purpose of our lives